Someone once said, a brook will lose its song if God removed the rocks. And I believe that this is the impression that you get when you look at the life of David. This is what we have done through this past month of evening service. We have looked at some episode from the life of David. In particular, we looked at Saul's disobedience, David's faith overcoming Goliath, David's sin and repentance last time. Tonight we want to zoom in, end our study on some selected episode from this psalm. We looked at the lens of all the trials, all the deliverance that God provided to David, particularly if we think of how his life is in contrast with Saul, who, again, at the beginning of this psalm is listed as gone. Saul has sought to put David to death so many times. David had to flee from Saul all over the place, sometimes in caves, sometimes among the enemies of God, the Philistines. Then even after Saul's death, the consequences of the sin of adultery we saw last Sunday began with his own family, persecution within the family. Yet all the while, what we notice is in David is a man after God's heart who remains kind, who remains benevolent, who remains forgiving, who remains repentant, who remains courageous. He never avenged himself toward such wickedness. And the enemies of, of David, who were only after praises, Saul chased David, cruelly persecuted David, unforgivingly, and yet he remained fearful. Away from God's presence, his kingdom was rejected. Now Saul finally had died. And David receives the throne. And all these quarrels are over. It's kind of a prelude to the peaceful kingdom that will come after David with Samuel, uh, Solomon. Sorry. This is uh, Psalm 18, the ultimate words of David there for us. It's a long psalm, 50 verses. We come to the psalm now because we know that David wrote most of the psalms. And among his psalms, I think it's fair to say Psalm 18 is the most important psalm he penned. Here he voices his personal struggle and how God finally brings a response to all these struggles. We are uh, in your Bibles in the first book of Psalms. These are foundational psalms for how Israel relates to God and to keep God's covenant. The focus of these first psalms is to demonstrate the faithfulness of God, even in the midst of extreme pressure. And Psalm 18 seems to break that, not, not for a future prayer, but for a past prayer of thanksgiving, that threats from enemies have been quenched. And David praises the majesty of God, his deliverance. The focus is here that David, as a man after God's own heart, he pleases God and he thanks God for saving the righteous. It is therefore a psalm of great extended thanksgiving to God. It is a pervaded by celebration for this ultimate vindication and deliverance that David receives. These are not the last word that David said in his life, but... We could call them the final words, the ultimate words uttered at the end of this long-standing conflict with Saul. David by now has been installed as king. And the same exact passage, you will find it actually recorded for you in 2 Samuel 22. 2 Samuel 22 verses 1 to 51 is actually Psalm 18. And David listed it there because this psalm indeed was the most central 
song of David's entire life. It's almost as if his recap is life. It's like a tombstone inscription, a bottom line for all of his life. In the heading of this psalm, your Bibles might list that the circumstance of this song. That the Lord delivered David from the hand of all his enemies. This is a momentous time in the life of David. Particularly from the hand of Saul. Between what we saw two evening services when David overcame Goliath. And this psalm, the jealousy of Saul had haunted David over and over again. Year after year, plot after plot. And David had to face an almost insurmountable obstacle to become the king of Israel. The legitimate anointed king. Yet here is finally delivered from all that. How would you feel in his shoes? I listened to a lot of psalms. You have to realize that psalms were sang. They were songs. They were sang also throughout history. We saw that on Friday night. The, the covenanters who sang psalms in the wilderness. And there's one particular version of a, a psalm that the Huguenots used to sing. You have to know that Huguenots were French Protestants who were persecuted for centuries by Catholics. And there's several versions to this psalm. But this particular version I like the most because it makes me think of peace after the storm. Of resolution after conflict. Of freedom after centuries of persecution. This is the tone of Psalm 18. David has come here. There's no more persecution. There's no more hiding. There's more, no more jealousy. No more treachery. The hard days are over. God has been faithful protector of David. And how does this psalm relate to you and me? That every believer, all of us like David, should be able to testify of having experienced the deliverance of God. And at times even the just vindication from even your worst enemies. That is ultimately what we see in this psalm. Let us look first at the fact that David experienced deliverance. That is the first point of our text. There are several verses are listed for you. The first thing we notice is how God answers David's cry there in verses 1 and 2. David here begins with words that are not contained in the version of 2 Samuel. Probably they were added when the David began to use this psalm and even Israel after him began to use this song to be sang by the congregation as a worship song. And he, he says this, I love you, Lord. That if we were to summarize David's relationship with God, he had an intimate relation of love and based on experience of that love from God that frames whatever he says next. God is described here with a series of military terms. David was a warrior. And so he describes God as a strength, as a rock. Often God is described as a rock metaphorically in the Old Testament. But here the word actually in the original refers more to a high ridge. It's almost you get to this inaccessible summit where you can find protection from the enemies. Uh, Europe is full of these places like that. There's one in particular in South France at the border with Spain where uh, the, during the Middle Ages there was a crusade and a lot of uh, believers tried to flee the, the persecution by going to this uh, inaccessible uh, mountain, Mount Zagur, and, and, and up there they were essentially, you could not take them. But that's how God is to David here. He's a shield, he's a fortress, he's a stronghold. These are common words in the psalm, but in the context of the life of David, 
they come to a whole new light. David was a warrior. He often had to fight. He often had to flee in the wilderness as Saul was chasing him. And in the midst of all that struggle, God delivered him. He, God became actually the horn of salvation for David. The horn here contained oil that was used for anointing, but the horn was also used as you are in a battle. And reinforcements are called to change a distressing situation, almost a defeat, to become a victory. In other words, God is the all-sufficient provider of victory against all the attacks. And then we come to the wonderful words of verse 3 and verse 6. Those are the crucial verses for the life of David. David says this, I called upon the Lord and I was saved from my enemies. Now, this is one of the few times where I say the New King James, which now is using a future tense, I think it's not appropriate. Because actually what David is doing here is thanking the Lord for the past deliverance. That God saved him in the past. And, and David is therefore confident of the total ability of the Lord to save him. In all of his distress. How? He called on the name of the Lord and God heard him from his temple. David's cry came before the ears of the Lord. Now God is obviously invisible. He doesn't have ears. But this points to the fact that God answers prayer. He heeds the prayers of his saints. Verse 4 and 5 continues to describe how particularly challenging the situation of this prayer was. It made the deliverance doubly great. How many times David was under risk of dying, chased by Saul, terrorized by ungodly people who wanted his head. And yet in the midst of all that, God delivered him from all of his enemies. Verse 16 and 19 he, he, he was a hateful enemy that, that, that were chasing David. And that felt in the mind of David like sinking in the ocean. And God came to deliver him out of many, drew him out of many waters as if he was drowning. The David in all his weakness was confronted in this calamity. And yet the Lord supported him. Placed his head above, above the waters. God delivered David and brought him in a broad, safe place, out of danger into safety. All because God delights in his saints, in, in his believers. What do we gather from this? That God, friends, provides perfect salvation. All that we need to do is to call upon his name. God, first of all, is our unshakable foundation. He's the solid rock that will never fail. You may have been through or have experienced in the past situations that were impossible and yet you faced a mighty deliverance that led you to being full of the spirit full of gratitude full of joy the joy of your salvation we could say which here in our text is the deliverance that Saul that David has from Saul Saul entered hunted good David over and over like partridge upon the mountains and here you have the poor and defenseless David who cries out to God and by that simple prayer God answers but it's obvious behind these words is something far greater than physical deliverance. And a far greater promise for us. That God deals with us for our salvation and for our eternal safety. Christ is described in the Old Testament as our solid rock. And in the New Testament as well. Our sure foundation. Friends, our eternal destiny relies on the premise of this 
Call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. It is prayer that brings true salvation about. You think about loneliness, being under attack as David was. God promised, call on me and I will answer. Cry out to me and I will save you. I think of Amy Carmichael. She was a missionary to West Africa. She never married. She faced all sort of trials there, personal loneliness. He had to, she had to walk by foot over in the jungle, face to face with death multiple times in her life, bringing the gospel to these dying tribes there. She became known as the great mother, they called her. She begged God for help. And she, tell, she would tell you that her consolation, her rest, is, was always through prayer. That God through prayer mightily delivered her from mighty waters. There are times that God places us in a loneliness. There are times that God places us in dangers. And that loneliness, that brokenness, that neediness actually is what brings you to seek God in a deeper way. It is what actually leads you to develop your character. That God creates in you a desire to serve Him. It is there that most of all, you begin to seek God at work for your eternal salvation. I want to say verse 3 was the... Verses I was reading, when God was drawing myself to Him, I cried out to the Lord and He saved me. These, these were the, my life verses, friends. Here I was broken, alone in a room, in a Catholic monastery, tears in my eyes. I saw these words after an entire year of reading the Scripture, after an entire year of conviction of sin, battling to seek to remain in charge of my life, which by the time my life was sinking. Finally, I realized my need to be saved. The desperation was apparent to me. And so it should be to all of us. Friends, we come from different continents. We come from different past backgrounds. But everyone has a different story. But the equation still remains. You cry out to God and He will save you. That word save, Yasha, actually, we get the same word for Yeshua. That ultimately, through Christ, God brings answer to all dilemmas. God's character, first of all, is sure, is strong, is reliable, is faithful. He is able to deliver. He will answer when we call Him. He will come to our rescue. He brings freedom from all of our sins. He enables us to escape from the snare of the devil. From the greatest enemy, which is death. The Savior can deliver us from all of that. The proper response from me and you, friends, is to call upon Him. To trust Him completely. To love Him in return. That deliverance and salvation indeed come from the Lord. There's also something else here we see that the Lord does for His saints. He comes to the defense of the saints. He not only delivers us, but He also defends us. God indeed punishes the enemies of David. That is what we see from verse 7 to 15. David's enemies have to tremble now. You know why? Because when God steps down to deliver and vindicate His believers, there is a terrifying fury unleashed. And it's described vividly in our text here. You have all this imagery of earthquakes, thunder, smoke from His nostril, fire, gloomy darkness, clouds, hailstone. This is what happens when God comes to the defense of just one of His children under unjust attacks from the enemies. Think of it. Verse 13 to 15. The description of the coming of God down to judge the enemies of David continues with more graphic scenes. He, he speaks about hailstone, 
arrows, lightnings, earth shaking, at a single angry breath from the Almighty, the earth crumbles. All these words are directed at the enemies of David, who are about to face God's wrath for unjustly persecuting the righteous. And from that you see that God is jealously defending his true children. That is what we see here. This is the second and this more scary part of the song. It's nice to look at the promise of the first part, but this is not so scary for the believer. It is indeed scary for the wicked. Those who hunt the precious life of the righteous. Those who plotted against David. Who acted in secret against their neighbor. They and everyone else who read this psalm is called to realize that the tears, that the distresses, and that the prayers of the one who is unjustly treated call down the anger of God upon his adversaries. Now obviously God doesn't have a nose or things like described through this psalm. This is what we call in theology anthropomorphic language. To give you an image, however, of his righteous anger against the wicked who are coming to assault the righteous. Once the wicked realize that the God that they sin against is capable of, once they realize when, when they do harm to a believer, they are harming Christ himself, then their doom comes. But to the believer, as I said, this is, these are words of tremendous comfort. That God is stirred up by the cry of his poor children when it come to his ears. Have you ever cried alone in secret to the Lord to vindicate and perhaps situation that have come against you. Well, the enemy better tremble because the mail arrives to the destination of the divine post office. Now they're the ones in trouble. It's like if somebody were to hurt or endanger someone that you really love, then they will face your wrath. And God cannot endure to have his children hurt. He who touches you touches the apple of God's eyes. David here shows us that prayer is what moves God in a way that is beyond expectation. Look how jealousy God is toward his children. He's prone to vindicate when they are armed. Friends, if you're in the receiving end of unjust treatment from this world, don't let what seems a delay discourages you. There is this unshakable truth. Smoke goes out of his nostril wherever the believer is wronged. That one way or the other, judgment will come down. This also shows us that while God is our helper and friend, it doesn't diminish the shock, okay, of this imagery. That you're coming before the holy presence of a God that is angry with sin every day. This might has, must have been indeed frightening sight to, to the, the thoughts of, of, of David. Smoke from his nostril, earthquakes. That is what happens when God steps down to judge. Now we'll see more of that because after we finish this with David... In coming evening service, hopefully we will have a short series on the ma major prophets. And we're going to look at judgment. And we're going to see uh, what happens there when God comes down. Especially as he came down, however, here in our text to judge and defend his saints, the believers, like David. There is indeed a day of reckoning, friends. But I also want to say something here. That same wrath that is described here in such a vivid picture... It's actually the one that the son of David had to bear upon the cross. You, you think about the cross. There you see the holiness of God. There you see how seriously God takes sin. 
so seriously that his son had to be crushed in order to satisfy the entirety, the full measure of God's wrath for the believer and his sin. Smoke came out of his nostril. The earth shook. For a few hours, darkness covered the whole world. It was such a dreadful picture that Christ on Gethsemane was almost wishing, could this cup pass from me? Not because the Son of God deserves such wrath, but friends, because this is the result of sin toward a holy God, your sin, my sins, and the divine justice that such sin needs to be satisfied in the sight of a just God. So as you look at this image with fear, you can also trust that the way that God came down at the cross, friends, actually vindicated His righteousness, actually opens the way for the believer to finally be reconciled with God. And that is the, connected to the third ultimacy in David's word in our text, our third point, verses 20 to 27. Look at the devotion that David had. First thing we notice is his righteousness, verse 20 to 23. This opened this, the central section of the whole psalm. You notice from how many times the words strength, raw horn, rock, deliverer, stronghold are repeated. And they're also repeated again in a reverse order. And the reason is because Hebrew doesn't have poetry in rhymes like we do here in the West. It, it is a poetic device. And, and therefore these verses are kind of the center of the entire psalm for emphasis. That the ultimate deliverance come because of the righteousness and the integrity of David. David exalts in knowing God rewarded him according to his righteousness. In other words, it's so crucial to the whole story, at least at this point, obviously. What we saw last week will happen, happen later with the adultery and Bathsheba. And, however, at this point, David was innocent and Saul was not. David's hands were clean from innocent blood. And there was indeed a recompense for his integrity. He kept God's word. He walked in faithfulness. He did not depart from the word of God in any of its parts. He was blameless and he is free therefore from any iniquity. And for that, verse 24 to 27 tells us he receives a reward. As a result of his faithfulness, all the plotting, all the scheming of Saul, all the other enemies could not help one bit to frustrate the truth that David needed to become a king. Particularly look at verse 25 and 26. Let's zoom there. What we see here is that the Lord obviously helps his own children. But there is kind of a formula here that is given for us. David is aware of this one simple crucial rule of life. To the merciful you show yourself merciful. God. It is through God shows himself merciful. His word does refer to steadfast love there particularly in the new testament jesus in matthew 5 7 says to them that the merciful shall obtain mercy from god this is true however what is going on in psalm 18 here in verse 25 is it's a different thing it is more likely what's in view here is not mercy but god proves to be loyal to the one who is faithful to the one who is devout to the one who is godly to the saints in other words this is how god responds in kind to the believer and then he continues with the blameless with the perfect or innocent God shows himself likewise blameless reliable or trustworthy toward them to the pure David continues God shows himself pure and David obviously knows how important to be pure in heart to actually be even able to contemplate God 
He says this in one of his other psalms, same idea. However, the opposite is also true. Look at the next uh, thought. It was true for Saul. It was true for all the enemies of David. As they had a bitter taste of the fruit of injustice, they had sown, biting them back. With the devious, or we could say the crooked or the cunning, the person who is perverse, the person who is false, the person who is morally crooked or warped, the person who is distorted from anything that is just and right, God has to show himself shrewd. Uh, you could render that word many ways, crafty, tortuous, astute. God will literally actually wrestle as an enemy with such devious people. Good luck to them, in other words. It's not that there, however, in this word, uh, God shows himself shrewd. It doesn't mean that there's any iniquity in God, okay? Yes, this word at time refers to an immoral behavior. It's obvious from what we know about God that he doesn't actively do that. There's no deceit in God. God cannot lie. He remains sinless by definition. However, look at verse 30 in our psalm. His way is perfect. Therefore, this is not the context for that wording. What, what this is happening is God responds in kind. And he is definitely not so naive as to let the one who deceives man continue in his deception. Have you ever tried to throw a boomerang? What usually happens when you try to throw a boomerang? Afterwards, it comes back at you. And I want to say there are indeed in life things that come back at us, either good or bad, depending on what we threw first. And we tend to have a short memory of those things. However, God noticed and lets us know, and it comes back, that whoever is twisted will be twisted by God. God catches Saul and all the treacherous in their subtleness. Ultimately, they cannot deceive God, and their deception only leads God to make them fall in their own trap. And verse 27 ends that thought. God exalts the humble, but brings down the haughty. And so what is the hope in all this? After this boomerang principle, Billy Graham puts it this way. You, you're born, you suffer, you die. Fortunately, there is a loophole, ultimately through God's grace. However, the, the principle uh, remains. God repays people according to their own deeds. The believer is characterized, first of all, notice by faithfulness. Not perfection. We saw last time where, where David fell, but he repented. But there is a faithfulness that is actually a joy for the righteous to have a clean conscience. And in that sense, he can claim these verses to himself. The pure shall see God. That we are admonished here that we will reap what we sow, friends. However, not because of the righteousness David had from within himself, Following verses will show us it is because of God's saving grace that granted this new obedient heart within him that he can claim this promise. It is important nevertheless to point out that God responds to people according to their moral character. This is how the Lord judges the people with equity and righteousness. There's no bribe to God. There's no fakeness in God. So if you act wickedly with treachery, don't wonder if treachery will come back and bite you. That while, obviously, on the other hand, if you show yourself pure, God will act in kind toward you. Even if everyone else in this world will behave treacherously toward you and give you a hard time, persecute you, what have you. Some people don't obviously like this equation. In fact, uh, they seem to struggle with this truth. 
They seem to be uncomfortable under this truth. And why do they, they don't like it? I think uh, Sam Storms has interesting words about this. He says, the only reason integrity should be a burden to you is if you enjoy being dishonest. That is ultimately the, the, the conscience, the, the clean conscience that David has and that we look in it. But let's look now to the fourth element of David's ultimate words. And is something to notice about David is his dedication. That God ultimately revives David here in verse 28 to 45. He gave his deliverance. He enlightens his darkness. He gives him boldness. Because of this faithfulness, essentially he can run against a troop. He can leap over a wall. That's the, the type of strength God gives to a man or a woman who walks in integrity. To the point that he's able to conquer his enemies. Verse 30 says this. David is summing up his own experience. He says, God, as for God, his way is perfect. He's talking about the ways of the one true God, Yahweh. The way that God deals with men is perfect. That there's no unrighteousness. Particularly what we've seen so far. We looked at David as a man after God's own heart. God has been, through the story, exalting the humble, crushing the proud, rescuing the blameless, trapping the cunning. And David in this point in Psalm 18 is in a point of his life where this indeed, indeed has finally come true. Now it doesn't always happen. You almost wish it would be this perfect equation always in life. Now, sooner or later it will happen. But God here in our text is vindicated. All on the basis of the promise contained in this text. The word of the Lord, uh, David continues, is proven. is tested. It's almost as David throughout his life, throughout all of his challenge, through all, all, the, all the things he went through, he found the word of God to be true by being tested over and over again. He puts the promises of God to test once and once and once. And, and, and all that he had to do, all that you and I have to do is to trust God and let him shield us. God is the only God and the rock of help once again. From the mo moment David was anointed, even before God gave him strength ultimately god has been faithful and it has all been because of his grace he that is god makes my way perfect see that it is through the grace of god not because of the existent righteousness of his own that david had it's ultimately because of the grace of god and in verse 33 all the way to 36 god grants strength to david for the fight he trains his hand for war david is a warrior he puts the full armor of God, is an interesting allusion here in our text, both to other Old Testament passages such as Isaiah, but also the New Testament, Ephesians. The shield of salvation, he speaks here. Gentleness, enlarging the path under his feet so as not to stumble. So, because of God's help, David was able to conquer all of his enemies. And, and he, he ultimately has a kingdom that invades also, also surrounding nations. Everyone who was plotting against him was silenced. But again, God is the source of David's strength, not himself. Everyone who hates the just was crushed. Think of it. They, even the enemies of God, now they come in trouble. They try to call on God. That tells you something. That they were actually professing Israelite leaders who were trying to unjustly persecute David. Saul himself. In their distress, they, they cry out to God. But unlike David, something happened to them. God was deaf to their prayer. 
and David destroyed him. David gradually is exalted to be king of the entire Israel, even beyond, even surrounding nations. None of this was possible unless God was in it. This is a theme we find throughout Scripture. Wasn't it God's favor that brought Joseph to be blessed no matter where he was and ultimately overcame, no matter the, even the false accusation, the betrayals? Wasn't it God's favor that brought Israel in Egypt to be protected while their enemies faced plague after plague? Friends, wasn't it God's favor that brought Joshua and Caleb to be able to conquer the Canaanites without problems? The same is true for David now. What's behind the success of his kingdom at this stage is nothing else but the favor of God. But also in tune with his obedient response to God. That God over and over proves to be trustworthy. And he gives favor to his true servants. Listen, no one gets ever disappointed at God. Okay, David's enemies might. They held on to their sin. They got in trouble. They tried to call up the name of God. And God remains deaf to their prayers. Because they hadn't truly repented of the sin. Because sin had caused a separation between them and God. And God was deaf to their prayer. But if you take that exception, never, never friends, as any of to this day, never has His word failed anyone who truly trusts the Lord in any way, shape, or form. That in God and in Christ, we have all this personal stability that we need in times of troubles, in times of shaking. This applies even as a church. Just as David here addressed the entire Israel community, that God's, he is inviting us to realize that God's promise in His Word can always be trusted. He makes our way perfect through His grace. He strengthened our hands, not for work, but for ministry. Let us trust in this sure foundation, which is Christ. And we'll be able to advance God's kingdom, even in a prevailing darkness around us, as we put on the full armor of God. Let us conclude now with this last aspect of David's ultimate words, which is uh, the ending of our text, verse 46 to 50. David's dependence on the Lord. Ultimately, he relies upon God for his deliverance. 46, uh, David now moves to conclude this song, and he proclaims to every one of us salvation, that the Lord is his salvation. The rock lives. We looked at rock in verse 1. It is good to have a rock to rely upon. But God is also alive and active as a divine warrior, as a savior to David. And David is praying here that God will be exalted, not himself. And that leads us to the ending of the story, verse 47 to the end. That ultimately David was avenged by God and subdued all his enemies, delivered from them. Those who sought to do him harm were humiliated. And instead, David was exalted more and more because of his integrity. And now David ends with the praises. He says, thank, and he praised the Lord, even among the Gentiles that he has submitted. I mean, the kingdom of David expanded uh, even beyond the borders of Israel. That's, God. That's how God gets the glory, even out of the heathens, the Gentiles, for what he has done in the life of David. Great is the deliverance and the mercy that he gives to the anointed king, David. That was the covenant promise that was given in 2 Samuel 7. David's house shall be established forever. Therefore, David is not only looking back to the past, but he's almost forward looking prophetically to this solid rock that provides salvation 
for God to be exalted, to quench and destroy all the enemies of God's people, to the ultimate son of David. Remember, David's confidence here is rooted in this eternal dynasty. God has promised him a, 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 a dynasty that will last forever. So he places in his faith in, in a coming anointed king who restores the house of David, who holds the keys of David, a greater shepherd from the same hometown of Bethlehem, who was indeed persecuted by his enemies. We saw this morning. Yet who, like David, was merciful even to them who hated him. Here, however, that son of David is a mighty warrior who conquered the devil, overcame death, and now sits at the right hand of God. This is the unlikely deliverance that both David and all of us can experience in Christ. Andrew Murray says this, Salvation comes through a cross and a crucified Christ. It is unlikely, but it is the deliverance. That David's life up to this point was indeed despised, rejected, a man of sorrow. In some sense, Psalm 18 is messianic, and then it alludes to this coming royal Messiah. Next Sunday morning, we'll have a glorious sight of this when Jesus entered triumphantly into Jerusalem. And the way that the psalm leads to that gospel measured forward is in this way, that we cannot, what we cannot do for ourselves, we cannot deliver ourselves from, from God's enemies. God accomplishes for us. As we trust, as we commit our life, as we rely on the purpose of God in Christ, He grants us the grace to be faithful. So what do we learn here? We learn that God is dependable. Just like David was dependent on, 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 on God, God is dependable. If we lean on Him, we, he will, we will never go wrong. So maybe this final realization of David be yours, friend. Bring glory to the one who saves you. The one who defends you. The one who delivers you. David, after this psalm, became a legendary figure. And yet he gave all the glory back to the one who gave him everything. This is what happened when one man trusts God. When his heart becomes so in tune with God's heart. That the character of God now begins to be reflected in the person. As we saw this morning, God honors those who honor him. But these victories didn't belong to David. They belonged to God. God had placed him in such a position with the express purpose to be a blessing for the entire nation of Israel. And so let us have the same humble and adoring perspective and do the same. That, that will lead us and others to marvel at God's grace. So what lesson do we gather from this long review of David's life in Psalm 18? I mean, think about the worst thing that may happen in your life. Think about enemies that you might have had or have to face in the past or face in the present or will face in the future. Whether it's the nasty, jealous co-worker or the psychomaniac who can not live without seeing you destroyed. I mean, there are certain people like that. Life can indeed appear without solution. There's almost no exit. However, Psalm 18 is the exit. The proof to the contrary. That God delivers those who cry out to Him in their affliction. That you may be under the weight of unsurmountable enemies. And God defends those who are His true children. He is jealous over His true children's interests. God rescues those who are devoted to Him. Who walk blamelessly. However, as we saw, God also recompenses the treacherous with the fruit of their treacheries. They fall in the net that they cast it for others. And God leads also... 
those who are delivered to a life dedicated to his service. That's what David does. And we must do too. That God does so for those who depend upon him. You depend on God when you realize that God is the only one who can grant you this final ultimate deliverance. So let this be an encouragement to you. When you face hardships, loneliness, persecution, misunderstanding, rejection, setbacks. Remember, all these people who attack remain mere mortal. One day they will die and be gone. God cares. He vindicates. And he, he might have already done it. But most of all, realize that ultimate salvation comes to those who trust in the Son of David. That Jesus himself faced the most cruel enemy, death, who took our sin on the cross and conquered the last enemy. And when you are in the brink of despair, just like I was 11, almost 12 years ago, let's open Psalm 18, verse 3. Cry out to the Lord and He'll save you. You practice such words, you come to Him. And it's easier than you think. When you are ensnared by the enemy of sin, you cry to God with all your might for help. And be sure, as David was sure, He'll save you. Let us pray.